Welcome to the Natural History Cupboard. Come on in. And welcome back to the Natural History Cupboard podcast, the place where the weird and wonderful parts of the natural world come together. I'm your host, Gareth, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Aaron. Say hi. How are you doing? That's very formal or informal. I can't really Hello there. Mega Van and Melin. There we go. Uh, and uh, my other co-host, Drew. Say hi. Sorry, do you want formal or not formal? I don't know. I don't know what I want. <laughs> you don't? All right. I never know what I want. Uh, oh, hi. That's, that's I bad. think that's formal. I think that's formal. Yes, yeah. Why not? That's what well, I'd say in an interview. <laughs> Walk in and oh hi, oh hi. Well, what have you? What have I you did seen? not hit her. I did not. <laughs> I'd also say that to be. That's a Just quote, then. by the way. If anyone, uh, anyone's curious, or anyone, anyone's a little bit worried, it's a quote. Yeah, he's he's not become Justin Roiland. So uh, no, what, that's what the news this week. <laughs> Well, hearing about <laughs> Justin Roiland, that's, mm. that's, that's, that's what I've been up to. Um, uh, saw a, um, a lovely rabbit with mixed mitosis this week, didn't I? Oh, no. That was good. Yeah, it's a bit sad. Um, never good. Not, unfortunately, yeah, never good. Unfortunately, there's not really a lot we can do about them. Yeah. Um, and I thought it would also be worth mentioning as well. It's not something that I've done, although I have been watching Winter Watch. And oh, actually, on on an episode of Winter Watch this year, uh, there was a person that we've interviewed last year. Yeah, um, who was Paul Hartley, the guy from Birds from Birds Can Fly and the Pansy Project. And that was exciting. It was exciting to see see him on on uh, on TV. But you know, hey, look, we interviewed him. We got there first. Yeah, we got in there. First. We beat the we yeah. beat the BBC. <laughs> Now, if he just if he could just sort of mention us to the yeah. likes of you know <laughs> Chris Packham and and all of the that lot, just so that I don't sure. know, they'd want to turn up on our little show, uh, that that would be useful. Mm. But um, mm. yeah, we got there before the BBC. I think that's definitely worth mentioning. Yep. Aaron, what you've been up to? Um, to I it, well because it was a. Uh... It was my birthday last week, so I went birthday. off to. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I got I got a uh, I got an Elvish birthday greeting from 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 Gareth, which is very nice. <laughs> I even sent yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you remember what your homework was for this week? Oh, I do actually. Yes. Do you know, yes. so? What what is the appropriate way to respond when I say Mega Vanon? Oh wait, that wasn't. No, that wasn't my homework. That that <laughs> was your homework. Was... You, yeah, had, yeah, you had two, you had you had two bits of homework. Listeners, that, that you was can, your homework. You can oh. you can you can peer pressure. If our listeners could peer pressure Gareth, he actually had two bits of homework. The first was to learn how to respond to me when I say Mega Vanon. <laughs> the second, I'm sure he remembers. But uh yeah, yes, no, we, that, we went the, to uh the second we went... bit of homework sort of overwrote the first bit in my head. So um that's all right. I'd be interested to know the answer anyway. Well, um, what you were going to say? All I was going to say is that we went to London. It was it was really cool, um, very yes. very cool. Uh, cool. Went to the British Museum this time. Went to the Natural History Museum last time. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's like Egyptian uh, Egyptian artifacts there and, and relics and stuff. It was, yeah, it was interesting. Eye-opening, thought-provoking. Yes. Did you return any of them? Did you take any of the artifacts back? I wasn't going to go into uh, into details of why it was eye-opening and thought-provoking. I, but... you... <laughs> I don't mean any offence to anyone who works in the British Museum. No, of obviously. course. It's, of not, course. it's not those people that are studying those artifacts that, um, yeah. You know, the weirdest thing, right? Just, uh... when, it, when it came to some of the different artifacts that the British Museum has, when I was a little kid, and I'd hear talk of the Elgin marbles. I always mm. wondered why it was, because the town over from where we used to live in Scotland was called Elgin. Oh, yes. I always wondered, where are these marbles that everyone keeps talking about? That's what's <laughs> famous. I was expecting to see, like, I don't know, two giant balls of something made out of stone, you know, in, in the middle of the, the town. But... Yeah. Obviously, as a little kid, you you don't realise that oh, no, that's a, a completely different thing hacked off the walls of the Parthenon, but mm. you know, that's in London. Yeah, there's well, yeah. It's an interesting discussion. It's an interesting subject, but I feel it's a little bit out of the scope of our podcast, sure. really. Because you know, uh, it's more cultural history than it is um, natural history. Would you guys like to know the answer? That I came up with to uh, to the other question that Aaron asked me. Oh, go on then. Yeah. And unlike the other one, I uh, did this bit of homework uh, purely because it sort of overrode the first one in my mind. So um, the 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 um the sort of uh, it wasn't really a question, I suppose, but the the sort of goal was how many football World Cup trophies to the Dreadnoughters. Now, I was going originally to go with the height thing, but as there doesn't seem to be a consistent height thing, uh, height measurement for Dreadnoughters, mm. I sort of swept that off uh, and went with um, how many, like, weight-wise to the Dreadnoughters. Okay. So you'd be surprised, actually, at how heavy the World Cup trophy is. It's um, 6.175 kilos. Do we know what it's made out of? That might be a really stupid question, but I don't... I it don't care enough to... to it, but it's um is this a fo- sorry, is this is a football world cup, right? Yes, yeah, it's a football world cup trophy. Right, okay. I imagine world it's world. made out of um the uh, souls sweat of sweat from hooligans. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason hooligans sweat and anger world cup is because it's an Argentine and, te- and teeth from knocking each other out. Well, so that's what I think it's made out of. And I'm, I'm I'm just googling this. What it's made out of. What it's made out of. Yeah, I swear. I swear, if it is actually made out of thugs' teeth, um... <laughs> very rarely do they do that. It, it, you know, there's not usually that many of them left. Okay, there are people starving in the world, and animals going extinct. And I don't know if that's relevant, but it's thirty thousand eight hundred and seventy-five carats of eighteen-carat gold. What's it? It's a certain amount of gold. Jesus, yeah. it's a lot of gold. It's roughly about the size of like a two-liter bottle, so it's 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 quite compact, but it's also it, quite heavy. For how heavy it is, it's also hollow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Anyway, okay. anyway. sorry, we're getting off topic. No, no, no. The trophy itself, like I said, is six point one seven five kilos. Dreadnoughtus uh, weighs in at roughly fifty-nine thousand three hundred kilos. Mm. So breaking that down, 
uh, we ended up with 9,600, uh, give or take uh, a little bit, uh, World Cup trophies. That's probably more gold than than, is, than has ever been dug up. Yeah, probably. Mm. Yeah. Then you end up with a solid gold dreadnoughtus. So that's mm. pretty cool. You know, so let's... It is. Let's get all that gold and make a solid gold dreadnoughtus. Yeah, and then put it in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry. Put it in a museum. Boom. Sorted. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, shall we move on to the news? Yeah, we should. We shall. It's the news. Right. Well, we've escaped one crater of madness into another crater of madness that is uh, the news for this week so aaron what's our news roundup that we've got yeah well as uh, regular cupboard dwellers will know here in the natural history cupboard we like to keep you updated on all the big news coming out of the weird and wonderful world of natural sciences but we don't always have time to get through them so let's jump into the natural history cupboard newsreel and bring you up to speed through take it away so the first uh, snippet that we have is that rare orchids could be saved by common fruits in Florida, research finds. So for the first time, scientists have used a mix of natural products found locally to propagate Epidendrum nocturnum, a rare fragrant orchid that only blooms at night in Florida. Ooh, very cool. Florida man orchid. <laughs> arrested carrying an alligator. <laughs> um... It's probably what it's shaped like, yeah. The man carrying an alligator. Um, whereas I've got uh, in India, uh, they are to get um, more than 100 cheetahs from South Africa. Declared oh. ex- extinct in Asia in 1952, cheetahs are about to make a comeback thanks to a deal struck with the South African government to translocate 12 of the cats uh, annually for the next 8 to 10 years. Wow. Yeah, that, that's wicked, that's... Next up, humans and wild apes share common language. That is the conclusion of a video-based study in which volunteer researchers at St. Andrews University interpreted many gestures that wild chimps and bonobos use to communicate. Yep, and uh, off in Ireland, uh, red squirrels are making a comeback at Castle Ward. So the National Trust, Ulster Wildlife, Belfast Zoo, the Northern Island Environment Agency, and the Heart of Darren (laughs) Red Squirrel Group have teamed up to safely transport four red squirrels from their homes to the wilds of Ireland, hopefully with that accent they will eventually start to learn, uh, in an attempt to recolonize the area with native Narrowan Island red squirrels. So the animals now inhabit a soft release pen until they have acclimatized, which means they've learned the accent uh, to their new territory. And if there are <laughs> any more Northern Ireland, uh, Northern Irish uh, people listening to uh, the podcast, the, the impact of zoos on society has is largely underestimated, a study has said. Uh, the value of zoos to nature conservation and applied animal science is well understood, but the new study says zoos also have an important role to play in how human society thinks of and cares about the natural world, which is not widely known, but mm. vitally important. It, not widely known to the general public, I'm sure, uh, from the reactions that we obviously see having been in that industry. Anyway, 
Elephants promote jumbo trees is the next uh, article boosting the carbon stores in Africa's forests. So it's well known now that African tropical forests store more carbon per hectare than their Amazonian counterparts, though it wasn't clear how. New research, however, has found that the habitat engineering role of African elephants is extremely underestimated, with their outsized role in forest upkeep being integral to sustaining the region's rich biodiversity. And that's it for this week's Natural History Covered Newsreel. Guys, if you have a news story you want us to cover, send it in to us and you might see a chosen topic or news article covered here or in our main topics. And with that said, we'll dive into the main topics. And I think, Gareth, you went first, so I'm the first one up today. Oh, indeed. Just want to quickly add that yep. um, I do have a, I do have family in Northern Ireland, so I don't apologise to anyone in Northern Ireland because that's exactly <laughs> how they sound. Okay. I mean, we'll... are in the parish are. <laughs> Actually, well, before we, as we kind of dived off a little bit. There is an honourable mention I want to I want to shout out. I saw I saw the uh in the in the news agency of the other day over the weekend that American scientist magazine has got on the front cover a really nice uh depiction of what looks like a raptor species uh with its young. And the reason why I felt that it needed to be mentioned is it's it's talking about um uh, parenthood if I remember right and the depiction is of feathered raptor feathered raptors sorry and which is just amazing to see that on the front cover of a magazine um, and the image is of, also of a parent raptor very much looking after and caring for its young a very uh, a, an interpretation of dinosaur life that uh, is popularly shunned because people want to still think of them as these cold ruthless uh, mean-spirited movie monsters but it's actually common sense to anyone that knows how animals work so it was just really nice that on the front cover of a of a magazine again it was scientific it was american scientist or scientific america i can't remember scientific american or something like that some something like that uh the 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 picture is beautiful uh, and yeah, well worth checking out. I think if you can get your hands on it. Hmm. But I'll take us out with our first article, shall I, Gareth? Yes. Okay, dokie. So the first article is: uh, scientists found a dinosaur's face complete with its skin. Uh, so this article takes us on a bit of a historical journey uh, back to 2011, when archaeologists found arguably the most perfect fossilized dinosaurs uh, it, to to date. Uh, it was a nearly complete nodosaur, uh, made all the more exquisite by the presence of its jagged spikes, most of the limbs being intact, armor plating, and some stomach and gut content. But what really stood out about this fossil was the face, which boasted a beautifully preserved covering of skin. Uh, so you really get a good glimpse of what this animal would have looked like in life. Um, obviously dead and not eaten for a long time and obviously fossilized but you get a good image of what it might have looked like so six years and seven thousand hours of intricate detailed and fiddly work was necessary for royal tyrol museum technician mark mitchell to remove the fossil from its stone bed the specimen was named borealo pelter mark mitchelli uh which is and it's an ankylosaur and it's been named in this technician's honor uh 
Mark Mitchell I after him being called Mark Mitchell, obviously. Uh, in 2017, <laughs> that didn't really need explaining, did it? Not really, no. <laughs> no, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> sorry, sorry, everybody. I'll be teaching sorry, you Mark. to suck eggs next week. <laughs> Excuse me. So in 2017, researchers were finally able to study the specimen. Um, and one such study, these studies are really cool. Um, so one study took advantage of the armor being essentially in life position as opposed to jumbled up. So life position, as the name kind of suggests, is the position they would have been in in life. Um, oftentimes when you find these types of animals, these plates are all over the place because they've been moved about by, you know, ge- 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 geo... Uh, uh, Geophysics. But- Geophysics, thank you. It's been moved about by geophysics, moved about by an ever-changing landscape. But in this case, they were in life position, which makes it really easy to to look at. Uh, So this allowed for the plates to be measured in place, given a real clear picture of how these animals would have looked, like I said before. But what this particular study concluded, had it, it has has the potential to change the ankylosaur landscape and how we think of them because you see uh, these plates don't appear to be meant for defending themselves against predators which is what most people think of when they think of the big bony armor plated ankylosaurs in fact what the researchers propose is that these plates were used for courting as in to show off and attract a mate Uh, very much like other things that we think of with 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 certain dinosaurs dilophosaurus with its uh, dual uh, jewel crest um you've seen in prehistoric planet how uh, they think carnotaurs use their arms um, and modern dinosaurs today we spoke about ostriches and how they use their wings now that they don't fly we've mentioned i believe several times about birds of paradise and other birds peacocks is one that everybody knows about using the feathers so these features may actually not be functional in in, in a sense, and may actually be for mating displays, which is really interesting for, for this animal. Uh, another study proposes that, based off the pristinely preserved fossilized soft tissues, that this species used the countershading camouflage technique. Uh, not only has countershading not been observed in species of a similar size, but it opens the curtain on the Cretaceous world and how dangerous it was, because if you're going to need, need countershading, uh, you're probably under attack from above and below in, in the case of an ankylosaur. So again, just insanely interesting. And then finally, the most recent study makes use of the stomach and gut contents that are evident on the fossil, uh, basically to lift the lid on just what these animals were sustaining themselves on. So we're starting to see a clear picture of what this animal looked like and what it ate. Uh, it's a really exciting time for the Royal Tyrrell and for anyone who wants to follow the progress of this animal. I'm a little bit jealous in a sense that not only do these guys get to work with them and I don't have a clue how to get involved in that, um, but also in the sense that I have been following Lin Haraptor, which is a creature feature I did last last year, uh, and there's still not much to know about Lin Haraptor. These things take time um, and I mean, like I say, is it six years and seven thousand hours some, for for him to actually get the fossil from the stone bed? It's a long time, but I, for one, am really glad that this specimen is with a museum and not in an auction to a private owner. Definitely, yeah. Hmm. 
I think Dan Aykroyd is one of the patrons of that museum as well. And I think really, yeah, yeah. I think Dan Aykroyd is is a a patron of the Royal Tyrrell Museum, and there's something to do with there was another one of these very well preserved ankylosaurids um, that they nicknamed Zool, basically. Give- Oh yes, we've spoken about this. Dogs in Ghostbusters. Would so. you mind just give me a quick second? I want to just because Zool. I. Well, you're checking to see whether Bora Pelter is Zool. No, I am checking because I did see it in the article, but I forgot to to note it down. I want to know where it came from. Alberta is from the oil sands, uh, an oil sands mine in north of Fort McMurray, Alberta. Um, and it's it's actually the it, it's one of the more famous. The photo of it is one of the more famous kind of ankylosaur photos. But uh, so it's it's not like it's well, like I say, it was discovered in 2011. It's not a new fossil, but these studies that are coming out are what's new and what's what's so fascinating about it. But yeah, if you, if you go online and type in Boreal, Boreal, Pelter, it's a fantastic photo. It means basically pine tree shield, if I remember correctly. Does it? That's interesting, because Boreal as in boreal forests. No, boreal is boreal and boreal forests. The word boreal actually comes from the Greek god of the north wind, Boreas. Yeah, northern forest. He should be northern pelt. Pelter, what's... All right, I'm going to just Google that. Yeah, there you go, northern shield. Borealo Pelter is Northern Shield and Mark Mitchell. Just just in case you can gather from my very awkward explanation earlier on, it's named after the guy who who did all this work on him. But yeah, that's my article. I won't I won't drag on any further. Yeah. Well, you you say drag on. He'll go actually my article is a flying reptile, not a dragon or a dragon. Mm. Uh, it is in fact uh, a pterosaur. But um, just as a quick side note. This week, we could have actually gone down very, very dark news paths of uh, some of the different things that have gone on. In the UK, we've allowed a bee-killing pesticide uh, mm-hmm. to be oh. used. We're now dumping human excrement and effluent into our rivers. Uh, this is both things that the government have considered uh, fantastic, as well as um, camping on uh, free camping on Dartmoor was also, you know, completely abolished. So, yeah, it was a abolished and then because the uproar they decided to do to modify their decision on it and i remember because yeah, i'm a big proponent for for wild camping when it's done yeah. like responsibly uh and basically it's just putting more money in in, Into their in certain pockets uh so when people say like i know we've joked about how we're all anti-tory and drew in particular has been noted as anti-tory by our listeners it's not Drew is not anti-Tory, and me and Gareth aren't anti-Tory. The Tories are anti-humanity, anti-nature, and anti-planet Earth. It's just, we're just reacting to that. <laughs> I'm just anti. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving yep. swiftly on from the darker side of news, um, I will take us to uh, to Germany to uh, to meet a bizarre oh. pterosaur described. Uh, well, um, recently, and this is a species 
that is known and that it fits neatly, Aaron, with your creature feature from last week, because what is the scientific name for a blue whale? Alienoptera. I, uh, I, I, I'm still not 100 sure, but I think I found out that it the uh, after our conversation that the P is pronounced because it's part of an inner syllable. Okay. Well, the first part, Baleen or Baleen, as in mm-hmm. whale. Well, meet Baleognathus, uh, which <laughs> is a species of pterosaur that literally means whale jaw or whale mouth. And we're trading um, names then. Oh yeah, so it fitted neat. It fitted neatly. Like I say, I was going to ca- uh, cover some of those more dark things. Also, there was a large chunk of ice that floated off Antarctica, the size of Greater London or something. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be worth covering, but to be honest, new pterosaur, more interesting. So this new species of pterosaur uh, with an unusual snout has been described in Germany. The ancient flying reptile would have been uh, using its toothed snout with a, f- a flared end, a bit like a spoonbill. Uh, to feed on, at uh, filter feed, sorry, on tiny crustaceans in shallow tropical seas. About 150 million years ago, uh, we would have been looking at a very different map of Europe. Europe itself didn't exist. It was basically a collection of small little islands. Um, think the Caribbean, basically, lots of tropical little places. Uh, this would have been flying around, um, dabbling its, uh, its bill in the, uh, these tropical waters. Uh, using the flared tip with hundreds of blunt teeth and upturned snout uh, to basically um, scoop plankton-laden water into its mouth and then filter feed the tiny animals out before swallowing the food in a very similar way to modern flamingos. So the best way to describe what this uh, pterosaur looks like, think of a, a standard pterosaur body plan, but when you get to the head, imagine a very long curved beak, sort of downwards, a bit like an avocet, we're going to blend many birds here together to uh, to come up with this. Its long jaw is curved upwards like that of an avocet, and at the end flares out like a spoonbill. There are no teeth at the very end of this, this beak, uh, but there are teeth all the way up either side of the jaw bones, and the actual um, fossil of it is beautifully preserved. You can see all these teeth either side of the jaw. Uh, it basically has a stunning level of, of detail. It's it's a very much like uh, Archaeopteryx style fossil, uh, lithographic in, in the way it's done. Um, what's even more remarkable uh, is that some of the teeth have a hook on the end, uh, which is something that they've never seen before in pterosaurs, which the small hook may have been used to catch tiny shrimp uh, that the pterosaur fed on, making sure that it went down its throat and weren't squeezed between the teeth themselves. So, sorry. <coughs> so this pterosaur was basically scooping out uh, some of this, you know, lovely uh, water with lots of plankton and, and little krill and shrimp in it, uh, squeezing out all the water from between these teeth uh, and uh, then using its tongue to sort of lick it, the inside of its mouth and uh, swallow down a nice big gulp of, uh, of plankton and things. During the late Jurassic, uh, we would have basically seen, um, rather than one single landmass, like I was saying, the continent made up of an archipelago of subtropical islands, and between these would have been countless smaller sandy spits and outcrops rising out of the water, lots of lagoons and places for these guys to feed, and these islands were inhabited by, well, we already know, large amounts of, uh, of 
species that we associate with tropical areas today, things like large fish, rays, sharks, turtles, and obviously uh, dinosaurs as well, marine crocodiles. Uh, but basically taking the place of um, in the skies were with pterosaurs. We, we already know of, of dozens of different species of pterosaur that used to live uh, just in this part of the world at this time alone. Um, but these guys seem to be specializing into a niche, very, very, um, you know, doing a very, very specific thing. The jawbones, like I say, are very delicate and covered with these really, really fine teeth that with its mouth closed would have looked like it's they're sort of sticking up either side. Mm -hmm. There is already a species of pterosaur called Pterodaustro or Pterodustro, um, which has a far more sort of, uh, well, very, very similar actually, but a slightly larger um, sort of mouth area with these sort of almost like baleen, not baleen though, uh, teeth that help to filter feed out its food. So just like birds, pterosaurs were highly divergent into wh wherever they were eating and whatever they were doing. The fossil itself was actually uh, unearthed uh, in the quarries of the Franconian Jura in uh, Bavaria, Germany, where a block of stone containing the remains of a crocodile-like animal was also removed as well. Along with it, they also found the beautifully preserved skeleton of a pterosaur, uh, still fully articulated and even showing some soft tissue remains as well. Wow. Yeah, it just shows wow. the beautiful preservation of some of the, uh, the, the German sort of limestone and everything. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. The, the sort of Chinese, uh, you know, bird fossils and things like that. It's funny that you mentioned that, Gareth, because when basically I, I don't know if Drew did the same, but I, I Googled it uh, yeah. and the fossil is so, it's absolutely amazing. You can see, we're talking about the fossil in my article, how you can see what it would look, look like in life. And yes, you can see some soft tissue on it in this photo. You can't quite see the way you can see that ankylosaur, but you can see what this animal would have looked like from this photo. It's amazing. It oh, really is amazing. Yeah. It's made me pull up the image of the London specimen of Archaeopteryx and the the original Linharaptor fossil uh, and the three photos together, putting them side by side. They're just stunning fossils. Yeah. Yeah, that terrace was amazing. Seriously, it, it, cupboard dwellers, uh, go and have a look at it. It's it's really cool. Well, the um, the final bit I'll say on it is uh, it's a quote from David Martell, who is actually the lead paleontologist uh, on on the paper, and actually the one who did a lot of the uh, the preparation work and everything as well on this. He said it was a rather serendipitous find, uh, a well preserved skeleton with near perfect articulation as well which suggests that the carcass must have been at a very early stage of decay with all joints, including their ligaments, still viable, explains mm. David. It must have been buried in the sediment almost as soon as it had died, um, which is kind of interesting as well because they've worked out that pterosaur skeletons, like birds, are pneumatic in that they have hollow bones. So generally, they tend to float. So a lot of, you know, if you find a dead bird in the water, it tends to float. Yeah. So whatever buried this must have buried it you know, it's a very, very lucky find to basically have had it perfectly buried at that point to keep it that well articulated and that well sort of preserved to come up with this beautiful specimen. So, uh, yeah, there it is. New species of it pterosaur. It is beautiful. Uh, and a new uh, new addition to uh, European pterosaurs as well. Um, so, yeah. Very good. 
Well, shall we shall we move on from our news uh, and head on over to see where Drew is taking us in the world this week for our creature feature? I have a feeling it's a very special place to uh, to us. It's a special place. <laughs> it's my special place. Is it Narnia? It's the creature feature. Right, well, we're into this week's creature feature. Drew, what are we looking at? Uh, so this week we're going to look at one of my all-time favourite animals, which is the genet. Now, I would argue strongly that they are one of the most beautiful creatures that has ever existed. But aside from the very pleasing, gracile aesthetics of a genet, I like them immensely for several reasons. Uh, one, they're somewhat obscure. Two, they're a joy to watch. And also, maybe most importantly... Uh, because I've had a, a close personal connection with a few individuals within my career as a zookeeper and also during my time uh, out in South Africa. So last year I did an episode on Turicos and genets are effectively filling in the same role here, not because the animals are in any way alike, obviously, one's a bird and the <laughs> other is a, a mammal, but because they're both significant to me in the same way. So as the Turico episode was in honor of my favorite Turico, guacamole, as well as all the beautiful Turicos in South Africa, this episode is in honor of Sky and Apollo and the larger species of genet, uh, who was just called Jen or Genet, uh, that bit me on the eyelid in South Africa. Oh. Um, uh, well, it was entirely my fault because um, she wasn't being aggressive. Uh, and it was just a, a lesson for my younger self that maybe don't allow a small carnivore to jump around on your shoulders and sniff your face. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they might have a little nip at your eyelid. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. Now, this feature is relatively short, and that's simply because whilst I think genets are interesting, and I can wax lyrical about how pretty they are, studies on them are limited, and there isn't really that much information out there. Uh, In fact, if you just Google common genet, one of the questions that comes up in you know a list of little Google questions is, what animal is a Janet? Well, <laughs> Janet, <did you laughs> Janet, <say>? yeah. <laughs> what animal Janet is a Janet? A woman who works in HR, probably, <laughs> quite likely, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to delve into that and find out what even is a Janet. <laughs> so <laughs> does it work in HR? <laughs> so this is a this is a relevant or as relevant a question as any animal, I think, because there are also, like Turicos, quite a lot of genets in captivity. And it seemed that anyone looking at the genets we worked with were perplexed by what sort of animal they were looking at, um, Mm. if they hung around properly in the first place. Or how to pronounce the word. Or how to pronounce the word, yeah. In fact, I have actually, I did watch a documentary on them as well, and the guy was pronouncing it genet. The best a man the best, can get. The, the best a man can get, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I've always heard it as Janet, always pronounced it as Janet, I assume. I'm just going to yeah. carry on calling it Janet. Um, for the closest eye bite that you could wish for. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. The, the common Janet Mac-free. <laughs> Shave all that hair off your eyelids. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. um, but also, yes, please note, take note as well that Keepers absolutely watch you watching their animals and they listen to your comments uh, just to make any of you listening self-conscious if you're not already. Yeah, um, mesh is not soundproof. No, no, nor are the, uh, nor are the doors next to it <laughs> where our kitchen is. But yeah, uh, but yeah, genuinely, and this isn't just for genets, but if you don't spend time properly observing animals, you are really missing out. But anyway, 
Uh, I really like talking to people about the genets uh, because they are curious. Um, they look like they look like if you stretch out a cat into the shape of a pine marten or a polecat or a ferret and gave it a fox-like face, a long bushy tail, and large rounded ears. Um, it and is then... very, very cat slash weaselly kind yes. of looking. Yeah, absolutely. And then make it light grey with dark brown to black spots and stripes along the body and rings around the tail. So most people think they are some sort of cat. And and I don't want to be the sort of cubristic knob who turns around and says, actually, it's, a, it's not a cat. Because... Actually, that was me. <laughs> that mm -hmm. wasn't an impression on Gareth. Uh, because to be fair, whilst genets aren't cats, you're not far off. So genets are viverids. And viverids, one of our words of the week here, are small to medium, mostly carnivorous mammals that also include civets and binturong. Mm -hmm. Again, not many people know what a civet or a binturong is either. Both are definitely worthy of a, uh, a creature feature. Um, oh, yes. For yeah. sure. Civets are basically larger terrestrial genets, and there's an important story there about exploitation and coffee beans. Um, mm. so don't buy civet coffee. Uh, and binturongs are something just completely different. Uh, imagine a oh, bear mixed amazing. with a monkey in, in both looks and size. So interesting fact as well, all of them smell like popcorn because I don't know if it's either their scent glands, which are located near the, uh, the poopy area, uh, or it's their urine, uh, but either one, it smells like popcorn, and it's actually quite pleasant if you're the sort of person who likes smelling anal or genital secretions. Uh, <laughs> but they they all smell like popcorn, and that's that's how we tell that they're related because they've all got popcorny smelling urine uh, or uh, scent glands. But I, I digress. So viverids belong to the suborder Feliforms. Now Feliforms does include felids, so actual cats but also includes the extinct saber-toothed cats, hyenas, mongooses, lingsangs, malagasy mongooses, and this podcast's collective favourite animal to dump on, meerkats. <laughs> but aside from meerkats, which are rubbish, it is a cool group of animals. But, so we don't get too taxonomically heavy, in summary, genets and viverids are cat-like, but not actual cats. So, next, how did Janet come to be? Or genets. And this is interesting, I hope. So 60 million years ago, Aaron and Gareth, you guys are wandering around in a forested realm of the post-apocalypse of the uh, Paleocene, when Ooh. suddenly a wild species of myocoidia appears. What do you do? What Would you like your options to start? Give us some options, yeah. Right. yeah. Your, your options are fight, bag, Pokemon, or run. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight. You're gonna fight, Aaron. Are you, are you gonna stick with him? He's gonna bag. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm gonna fight too. Yeah, you don't want to choose Pokemon. What? No, no. Well, that's good because you don't have any because they're not real. Well, uh, I mean, if you, dead? yeah, I mean, basically, if you were a mammal wandering around the Paleocene, you're probably quite small, unless you're a pantodont, which we now know more about thanks to our interview with Paige DiPolo. But generally, it's probably best to run because this myocardia is new. It's fresh from Darwin's teat. And, uh -oh. and if this strange analogy continues, which it's going to, it probably made Darwin bleed because this creature has carnassials, the defining feature of carnivore. Ah. So this creature is arboreal with long, lithe bodies and a long tail and about the size of a modern day mongoose. 
it's already sounding quite familiar with a genet or a janet. Uh, in fact, aside from the posture, uh, you'll see a lot of similarities between a myocoid skeleton and a genet skeleton. If you look at the two skeletons put together, they're very similar. A little bit more flexibility in a genet's one. Uh, but later on in the middle Eocene, that was the end of the roleplay, by the way, it's very quick. Okay. Um, <laughs> these these animals branched into two distinct groups, uh, feliforms and caniforms. The feliforms remained forest dwelling, arboreal or semi-arboreal ambush hunters, while caniforms were more, more mobile opportunistic hunters. Generally speaking, feliforms are more specialist, caniforms are more generalist. There are exceptions of plenty, so don't at me. All of our modern-day carnivora are descendants from this split. So the old cat versus dog goes very deep. So cats have hyenas, mongoose, fossa, and viverids, like our genet, on their side. Dogs have bears, seals, raccoons, and weasels on theirs. But moving on now to what genets actually get up to, because that's where they've come from. Whilst belonging to a group of mostly specialists, genets are the feliform's answer to versatility. So... What do a genet do? Or where a genet <laughs> does what it do? Well, to the where, where do common genets actually come from, guys? Europe and southern, uh, sorry, southern Europe and, and Africa. Yep. Any add additions to that, Aaron? Um, no, that would be southern Europe and Africa for me too. Uh, no, that's where they are today. Yep. Historically, though, no, it's got to be a similar region, I would say. Yeah, so Africa. So most of Africa, in fact. I'll, I'll get mm. to Europe in a second. So from along the Mediterranean coast, the African side, um, skipping the Sahara Desert, because nothing lives there, including the animals we featured uh, on this uh, podcast that are actually from there. Uh, then through Central Africa, from the west coast in Senegal to Somalia on the east coast, then south to Tanzania, avoiding almost all of Mozambique because reasons, and throughout uh, Southern Africa. So hmm. basically, they are from all of Africa, except the rainforest regions and the Sahara. Plus, they are also found naturally in coastal areas of Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and Oman. And, as you guys mentioned, they're also found in Europe, but uh, they are an introduced species to Europe, uh, making common genets the only genet outside of Africa and the only vivarid in Europe. Uh, do you guys know who introduced genets to Europe, and roughly how long ago? Is it going to be the Romans? It's not the Romans, actually. Not this time. It normally is, but it's not this time. Mr. Genet. Think about... I don't... don't... Napoleon. This is... uh, No, it's a bit bit longer, a bit further ago to uh, Napoleon. So it was was around... It was around 1,000 to 1,500 years ago, so quite a long time ago. Aaron, it's your sort of neck of the woods, or your area of expertise. Who moved into uh, Spain? Oh, the Moors. Yeah. So basically the Maghreb Arabs in North oh, Africa. Got there, bef- got there <laughs> before me. All right. I threw my voice to your head there. That, yeah. was, that was really talented between you and me. I, I heard, yeah, I heard Gareth's voice, but Aaron's words. Um, <laughs> so yeah. it, was, it was likely done by the Maghreb Arabs in North Africa. Um, right. And then later the genets spread from the Iberian Peninsula into southern France. Sporadic mm. sightings have also been recorded in eastern Italy as well. Why did they take them there? Uh, I, From what I was reading, it seemed like pets. 
I was going to say yeah. the it, it was yeah. the original the original cat. Yeah, they they just decided, yeah, yeah these filiforms they they can't be they can't be domesticated, and then no. we repeat the mistake with with actual cats. Yeah, it it seems like, I, it seems like I see your I see your small compact cat, but have you seen my long thin cat? Yeah, exactly. It may have been for hunting as well. Not really. I'm not really hundred percent sure. It didn't. Oh, are you gonna are you gonna say that they used to hunt with packs of genets? Well, maybe ferritin, but with a genet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the jury is out of how much of an impact these populations in Europe um, are having or had uh, because they've been in, I mean, they've been there for quite a long time, but uh, there's very little information out there on them being destructive. So I'm going to assume that their impact is relatively minimal. Their habits are very similar to the beech martin, which is similar to our pine martin that we have here in Northern Europe, which are also quite common. So competition doesn't seem to be very severe between the two species. But anyway, what sort of habitat do you guys think genets prefer? Where, where do you think you'll find them? I've, I've, well, got, I've got some options as well for you. Do you want your options? I'm going to say... I know you could find them kind of in the in, in mountainous regions in, in Spain. Yeah. Wood woodland, I'm guessing. So the options I've yeah. got here are forest, grassland, shrubland, or savanna. I know that they don't like anything to um shrubland or scrubland. Marshy or you know, like floodplain type places. Yeah. Uh well the the correct answer was all of the above of what I've just listed. Wow. Um, but I didn't give that as an option because <laughs> whatever. Because um, you're horrible. Because I'm awful. Yeah. That's why I'm not. That's why Gareth is the uh, the professor and I'm not. But yeah, the they're found in forest uh, forest grasslands, uh, shrubland, and savannah. And yes, they are also found. They have also been found in the Alps and also the Highlands uh, in Spain too. So presumably they like that as well. Uh, they're found in almost every habitat. Uh, moving on to what they do as well. What about their diet? What do you guys think they eat? Which I should hope you know because we used to. Feed well, them. yeah, <laughs> mostly meat, but I'd imagine a bit of anything and everything if they come across it. Yep. I know they particularly like uh, mice. Mm. They do. So, also, small... but pretty much anything small, isn't it? Like yeah. you've got your your little lizards and, and mammals and little little birds. Yep. So it's small mammals, birds, eggs, amphibians, reptiles, millipedes, centipedes, scorpions. I was going to say uh, centipedes, or, uh, centipedes. Or various fruits and fruits and nuts. So yeah, pretty much everything. So we know what taxonomic group they belong to. We know where they live, and we know what they eat. But what do genet actually do? What do they get up to? Well, uh, common genets are mostly African, and Africa is an evolutionary battleground. It's a tough continent to find yourself on and mm. survive. Common genets, by definition, are widespread, and so they must be adept at this survival game. And clearly they are. As mentioned, the genet design is very close to the original mammalian carnivoran. Whilst other carnivorans played around with the formula, genets instead decided, I'm going to stick with this and just make it better. They've stayed small. A male common genet is about two kilos, which is about 10% larger than the females. Uh, they've stayed nocturnal, which is pretty much how mammalian carnivores started. But they've dialed up the long-bodied elegance and agility up to 11, climbing through thick over and undergrowth, aided by retractable claws, like a cat, keen senses, and they can stand up on their hind legs as well, literally like a human for extra reach. And they are the only vivid that can, can do this. Uh, they've been reported to also jump distances of four meters between trees. So they're pretty bouncy. Now, this agility is not just helpful in ca uh, to catch prey, but it also helps evading predators. Uh, 
as much as I'll hype up genets, they are still small carnivores. Um, so they're on the lower end of the or the middle end of the uh, middle of the scale, and they need to keep an eye out and an ear and a nose out for uh, large owls, pythons, leopards, caracal, and jackals uh, across Africa. Now, when threatened and flight is less of an option, genets have hackles, and that's another quick little word of the week. Now, a hackle is a line of fur or a mane that runs from the shoulders, in particular for the genet, runs from the shoulders to its tail. Um, it can be erected to make them look bigger. Dogs also have hackles, but obviously they don't run all the way along the down the back, they're more around the shoulders. And one last behavior that I think is probably worth mentioning, because it is a fun one. Uh, did you guys, back in 2014, you may not have seen it on the actual year, it may have popped up and around. Did you see a picture of a genet circulating? doing a very strange behavior hmm doesn't ring a bell it involves another animal no this doesn't ring a bell at all no uh, there were pictures taken of a camera trap of a genet taxiing on the back of a rhino ah. and two cape buffaloes nice <laughs> cape buffaloes notoriously very bad tempered species uh, but it was just sat on the back well, um, if you don't weigh very much it's probably not going to well no exactly but it's um, this was a large spotted genet, I should add. The common genet is also called the small spotted genet, so they are different species, but they are, if you look up pictures of them, they look pretty much the same. There's, there's just slightly more meat on a large spotted genet, um, but they're the ones that you'll find in South Africa. But yeah, they're riding on the back of um, two quite large animals. Um, so yeah, Google it, I guess it's good. We don't know exactly why they were doing it. It could just be... <laughs> exactly, could just be for the lols. Um, <laughs> it's a good reason as any to. Uh, well, to do I mean, like they clearly had a heavy night out on the town. Yeah, yeah. Wanted to taxi back, you know, first uh, passing rhino. Exactly. Yeah, we don't. He don't even care where he's going. No, I don't no, mind. No. Just, just take me somewhere. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, there could the, be the taxi of... ride of shame. Seen <laughs> yeah. worse as he threw up on the back of the rhino. The horny taxi ride. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah, in all seriousness, I mean, there, there could be a lot of insects around those large animals as well. So yeah. there, might be, there might be something to eat, but yeah, we, we don't know exactly. But yeah, um, it pretty much brings us to the end. In case you spaced out through any of that, basically, genets are great. Uh, they are close in appearance to the original carnival, and they are a great example of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's no real conservation angle with genets either, with common genets, excuse me, which is nice. We don't get that all that often. Um, other genets don't have it necessarily as well, but it'd be better to cover that in their own feature, really, anyway, because there's a, there's a few different varieties of genet. I believe there's like 14 different species of them uh, out in Africa. But um, there we are. That is a common genet in a nutshell. Uh, it's a union of curiosity and nimble agility. Uh, the cat's answer to dog versatility, all packaged in a beautiful, spotty little bitey boy. Hmm. They are very cute. I love them exceedingly I, so yeah they're just they're so I, I can't pin down just exactly why I, why I like the aesthetics of a genet I just really do they're mm. so nice the only other thing that comes close in that sort of small mem uh, small family uh, or small members of that family that I've had chance to work with was the Alston's palm civet oh yeah um, which is basically like a genet yes but you've stretched its nose out a little bit it's so the palm civets are interesting because they're in their own taxonomic group. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they're still vivids, aren't they? But they're neither genets oh, yeah. nor civets nor bitterns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're just their own thing. Yeah. So I, I, 
it's a weird I've, group. Been, I've been lucky enough to work with the African Palm Civet, mm. the Alston's Palm Civet, and Binturong and and Janet's. And I suppose we're going to open up the whole group of of the the Veraday family. You've got meerkats as well, which we've all had the they're pleasure. Not, they're not though. No, no, but that, that, okay, sorry, yeah. that larger group, and then I've got to work with some of the uh, hyenas as well. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 such a an amazing group of animals, almost cooler than. And Aaron's going to hate me for saying this, it, almost cooler than any of the cat family, which is uh, adjacent. Well, they're they're honorary cats, aren't they? They are honorary cats. They, they, well, they're, 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 have... they're pre-cat, I would say. Yeah. And, yeah. and also, I don't cat before upgrade. <laughs> when yeah. I I know that I'm the cat keeper and everything, but like I actually like it's not cats. I mean, I love cats, and obviously, tiger is my favorite animal. But but it's the feliforms. I like mm. all that all of them. Group. I mean, Except apart meerkats. from meerkats, meerkats yeah. can do one, but <laughs> <laughs> but you you know, like all of that group, there's just everyone in there is just fantastic. And then again, caniforms are very cool because you've got your bears and so yeah, we could go on and on and on. Mustelids as well. It's, yeah. you know, the mustelids. Yeah, no, just, you know, they are the, very the, cool. The, the feliforms, the 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 cat-like carnivores are just an incredible group. Look at the genet that Drew has just waxed lyrical about, and look at the tiger, and everything in between these two animals. Can you mm. get animals that are firstly how beautiful are those two species? Secondly, how incredibly brilliant are these two species at being what they're supposed to be? Which sounds that's a very weird way of putting it, but they're machines. They're just amazing animals. Yeah, yeah. they are. I really tarted Ooh. up the uh, the Janet artwork. I spent quite a long time on it. So <laughs> it's, got, like, it's got bin, am, uh, It's got an iridescent sheen am, to it. Uh, I'm going to work you hard put, on the Janet artwork this year. If you put 3D goggles on it, it pops. It does. It does. Can we and assume it will, it will pop a... and... If you didn't have the 3D goggles out, it would bite your eyelid. What? <laughs> can, can we assume there'll be a, a Janet shirt that you'll be then wearing from this point on as well? Every day. <laughs> Janet pants. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's swiftly move on before yes. Drew gets a little bit too uh, genetified. Genophilic. Uh, uh, Genophilic, yep. Let's yeah. go with that. Oh, that's probably something else. That's probably very let's different. Move on. Yeah. Let's let's just move on. It's probably yeah. best. Let's go to our mailbag. Bing! You've got mail. Ooh, it's an email. Right, well, we're into this week's mailbag, and Drew has got a email that has come in earlier this week. Drew, what have we got? Uh, yeah, so um, we had an email from Chelsea McKee. But yeah, Chelsea basically answered one of the questions that we put out possibly a week ago, possibly two weeks ago. It's, it's difficult to remember. I can't really remember. And she she was aware that she might be a bit late. But to be honest, yeah, we're all over the place when it comes to them sometimes anyway. But, <laughs> um, so I'm, go- I'm, I'm just going to read it out. She was responding basically to the natural sort of phenomenon that they wanted to see this year. And she said she was looking forward to uh, the return of the bird species that left over winter. She lives in a spot between the Great Plains and the Flint Hills of Kansas, and she said she's fortunate to live near a wetland preserve. So they see all sorts of migrations move through, uh, but her favourites to spot every spring are the Orioles and the Red-winged Blackbirds. Very um, nice. Yeah. And 
then she also had some questions for us as well. So one of them we put in the bank. Uh, we will uh, we'll get to it on another week. Um, but one of them we thought, because it might be time sensitive, we'll answer now. So she said that they... Um, that they're going on a vacation for the first time in a decade. Well, congratulations for managing to get out. And that they will be going to a little island off the coast of Belize. And if we had any recommendations of flora and fauna to keep an eye out for in that area of the world. Uh, so we had a debate amongst each other and uh, got a little less. So we've got a few Ooh. sort of mentions, haven't we? Yeah. Do you want to start it off? I can start it off if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I may have mentioned last year that I went to Galapagos. If just in case, maybe it may have come up. Hmm. We saw lots and lots of frigate birds in Galapagos, and actually, despite them being sort of like, I guess their version of like a what a lot of people would attribute a goal to be here, because they're basically pirates of the sea. They pretty much nick everything. They are absolutely incredible, and uh, you get the magnificent frigate birds in Belize. You're almost guaranteed to see them, I would have thought. So check those out. There's also colonies of them there as well. They've also got the red-footed booby, which is the one booby that visits Galapagos that we didn't see. Uh, they've also Ooh. breeding colonies of those in Belize too. So yeah, go check those guys out. If you do ever get to the mainland, I don't think there's any probably on the islands, but there are tamanduas in uh, in Belize, which is an anteater. And of wax, yeah. they recall about anteaters and how cool they are. Well, there's uh, giant anteaters as well, according to... I imagine, yeah, I imagine there's probably giant anteaters too. Uh, tamanduas are basically like a, a small, a smaller, more mid-sized anteater, aren't they? Because there is a smaller one, the silky. And also, 58% of the mammal population in Belize is bats. So, I hope you like bats. There's a lot of bats. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you like bats, because there's a lot of them. And there's some really cool-looking ones as well. But yeah, what did you guys have some bits to add to that? Yeah, well, I was going to say there's, there's two... Species to definitely try and check out. One of them probably not on an island, I'd imagine. It's the national bird and the national animal of mm. Belize as well. You've got the keel-billed toucan uh, is their national bird, uh, which I imagine would possibly turn up on some of those islands. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the national animal is the bard's tapir, which mm. is one of the most endangered tapirs on the planet. So, Which is also known as apparent, apparently known as the forest cow. Although it's more closely related to horses. Mm. So uh bit of an odd one. I'm, I'm kind of hoping people in Belize have seen what a cow actually looks like. I imagine there's probably quite a few of them there. But one of the things that is not an animal or a plant that from just looking around looks worth going to see is the big blue hole. Mm. Which the blue is, one. Yes. Oh, yes. That, one of their that's a really zones. cool thing to see. It's basically the aquatic equivalent of what would be a cenote in parts of Mexico, which are flooded ancient limestone caves that are basically sinkholes into the ground. Mm. Which, if it's joined to the same sort of geology, it would be part of, or leftovers of the uh, KPG extinction. So, where the asteroid hit that wiped out the dinosaurs. Very cool. Mm. Oh. Aaron, what do you got? So, there's a vampire bat species from there. Which I would oh, yeah. I would look for just because just purely because of the name and yeah, but I think my list is going to be slightly predictable here. Um, I left I left all the aquatic ones that <laughs> that I was thinking of to you. <laughs> so my one my one land mammal because I've worked with 
uh, Southern Tamandua's, and I adore them. Well, in Belize, you'll find Northern Tamandua. Mm. So that's super cool. I forget um, that there's a north south north south split on them. Yeah, there's such beautiful and fascinating animals to. They're to more watch. of an accent, you know. Yelp. Yeah. <laughs> the the southern one do sounds <laughs> really, really farmery. Yeah. There's a little flat cap and eats ants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the others are going to be super predictable i'm afraid so you've got humpback whales there you've got west indian manatees which would be fantastic to see yes uh if you're incredibly lucky you've got sperm whales and then of course you've got uh loggerhead turtles green sea turtles and uh hawksbill turtles yeah so yeah really cool place to be i i should think uh have fun yeah. Thank you for the lovely email that you sent us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Really, really nice email as, uh, alongside it as well. We really appreciate it. I, I think your sort of top one there is probably the manatee. I think if yeah. if it, if it were me, obviously all those other animals are very cool, but I think the manatee is one as well. I think there's. For. Can I just add another one in? Yeah, just real quick because I've only just seen that. The I've only just seen this. It's an animal that I'd really love to see, but I've only just seen it in the list of things that you can find there. So my top three be manatees, and then it will be this one, the coral snakes. Oh, yeah. And then it will be yeah. humpback whales. But coral snakes, I'd love to see coral snakes. Mm. Also, the snowy egrets frequent these isles as well. And I mentioned them just because, check out the picture that they use on Wikipedia for snowy egrets. It's really good. Oh, God. It's so, it? it's so good. It looks really sassy. It knows what it wants. It knows what it is, and it's it's proud. Sorry, just checking it now. It's got that foot up. It's, uh, <laughs> it's it is a sassy bird. That one. It is strutting. It's yeah. uh, it knows what it wants. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. we should all well, we should all, all take uh, all take a leaf out of the Snow Egret's book. No, I don't want another honourable mention, but I've just I've just seen blue winged teal. I'm a sucker for ducks. I love ducks. Oh yeah, yeah, nice. You're a duck sucker, are you? <laughs> it could have gone there. I'm I'm a real sucker for yeah. Sucker for ducks. <laughs> love a good duck. Oh, man. <laughs> right. Well, hopefully there's some good suggestions there for you, and uh, let's know if you see any of those. Mm. That's or anything point, else, yeah. or anything else yeah. interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's loads of different parrot species as well, though, which we hummingbirds. Yeah. yeah. Also, let us know if you see um, Leonardo DiCaprio because apparently he owns one of the islands. And uh, yes, that would be a, he's, an interesting he's converting spot. It, converting it into some sort of eco reserve. He's doing it himself, is he? I think so. I think he's doing all the legwork. Yeah. <laughs> one <laughs> tree at a time. <laughs> see him down the garden center. Excuse me, you've got a spade. Yeah. Yeah, I came off swear I didn't bring one. <laughs> uh, apparently, there's albatrosses too. Yellow nosed albatross. Yeah, there's always, there's always. Well, yeah, this this part of the world is always albatross, but they're always like amazing to see, and you got to go to the, the right time of year to see them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that will be the same for the uh, whales. As yeah, well. for sure. Yeah, yeah, fa- fantastic. You you sent us down a, a wonder hole of looking at all the different yeah, species. It's a big blue are, hole. It is a big blue hole. Yeah. Right, well, the other thing that we uh, we have covered this week is, of course, this week's listener question that we put out there, uh, which was, if you could have any species make an easy evolutionary gain or gain an extra evolutionary benefit, 
what would it be? Because of, well, snakes in Australia that had easy evolutionary gains with their diet of uh, seabirds. Well, it was their ability to, 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 they very quickly adapted and evolved to have wider jaws than their um Stuff than their mainland counterparts so that they could eat the seabird chicks that are much larger than the the prey they've evolved to to hunt. Yeah. So the answers that we've had come in uh have come from Leodore, who has said dogs to speak English. Can you imagine a world mm. where you can actually talk to your dog? The only world I want to live in. Yeah. I don't know as to whether I'd have uh, uh, <laughs> You get the feeling that the conversations we have would just be very circular, you know, just wouldn't be of any any sense, some of them either. Yeah. I don't know. That's just my thought. I, I would like could... to be able to tell my cat, yes, yeah. I am going to the bathroom. No, you can't jump into the bath and have the tap on. You don't need to be. <laughs> you don't need it. You've had a drink. <laughs> I am walking out of the room. That doesn't mean that I've gone out of your life entirely. I, I'm, I'm still yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, Jess uh, has said hedgehog spines to be retractable so that they could roll around with the spines out, collecting litter, then find a bin, retract their spines, and all of the litter would be just deposited uh, in the bin. Yep. Which, I mean, that's, yeah, you know, using hedgehogs as litter pickers. I think that's uh, that's definitely a, a worthy use of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, although it just makes me think of Sonic the Hedgehog, really. Because didn't he do that as one of like his attacks? He'd sort yeah. of he didn't pick up spin. Right? I don't think he had a retract. He didn't have retractable spikes. I don't think. No, but, but then would... correct me if you're wrong, because I I was a Mario guy when I was I, little, and I I had neither. So yeah. Oh, I know. I wasn't. Oh. Allowed. Don't feel too bad <laughs> for him, Drew. He had Australia. He, well, it's probably why he didn't have either. Yeah, Do you know what else thing. he didn't have? <laughs> the internet. Breeding wetters. Jesus. Oh. Oh. Wow. Um, Yeah. It's not very nice. Okay. Anyway, so Stacy Skill uh, has put all of our flightless native birds to evolve uh, defenses against exotic predators without losing their uniqueness, i.e., not wings, something like retractable fangs. Uh, And I had to just double check where Stacy Skill is from in New Zealand. So, uh, it sort of spells it out with yeah. with the mm. uh, sort of bird predators, but yes, I want to see uh, fang a vampire kiwi. That would be amazing. Yeah. Kiwis that can slice things into pieces. Yeah, that'd yeah. be a way of uh, dealing kiwis with that have, kiwis that have replaced the feathers on their wings with like naturally occurring steel shivs. Yeah, why not? In fact, yeah. <laughs> I was going to su- suggest one of two things. If you've seen one, I think it was one of the Kung Fu Panda films. Uh, there was a peacock that could fling like metal feathers as like weapons, so you know their ability, uh, their ability to fling feather quills to basically impale stuff. Or yeah. we fit each one of them with like tiny mini guns on their backs, so if oh, anything yeah. comes close, they just open fire like tiny predators. Yeah. yeah, or we just bring back the hast eagle. Yeah, yeah, terrify everyone. But yes, there we go. There's some of our suggestions that we've had coming to us about uh, their evolutionary gains that they'd want animals to uh, to have. So uh, in response to uh, the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio is down the local garden centre getting himself a, a new spade to uh, fix up an island into his very own eco-preserve, mm. uh, what would you do if you had your own island? Would you um, stock it with exotic species of animal? Would you put a giant fence around it? which would be kind of redundant, it's an island. 
But what would you do with an island? What would you guys do? I'd chuck a load of ferrets on it. Ferret island. See what, see what happens, because I don't think that's been done before. <laughs> okay. Rats. <laughs> oh, rats has definitely been done. Oh, I don't think so. <clears throat> Not the way I would do it. <laughs> Aaron, what are you doing with your own island? Uh, I think I'll have a think about it and see next week. Oh, he's no. going to leave us all hanging. Put some, well, no, it probably won't be exciting for anybody. It's just... Just, just as a bit of a, that's a question I need to think about. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to fill it with flightless birds. I'm going to have kiwis. I'm going to have kakapo. I'm, I'm even going to throw some Victoria crown pigeons in there, which aren't obviously flightless, but I'm going to try and try and selectively breed them into a, almost a dodo-esque version of themselves. Oh. Uh, and, and loads of wetters as well. I'm going to, I'm going to have the, the oddest version of an island that you possibly could. Mm. Basically, all, all favorite animals just thrown on an island, really. Yeah, let's see how it goes. Battle royale, we'll see what happens at the end mm. as the, the one pigeon emerges, the victorious uh, winner. Well, I think that's a given. No, it's not a given, it's a pigeon. I knew you were going to say that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Right. <laughs> right well, like I say, uh, if you want to tell us what you would do with your very own island, uh, we're not giving them away. We don't have them. Maybe Leonardo DiCaprio can afford one, but we can't. But uh, yes, you can let us know. Um, you can do that through our Facebook or our Twitter pages where that question will be going up later in the week. Uh, you can also email us like our fantastic listeners have done this week as well. Uh, our email address is thenathistorycupboard at gmail.com. You can also get in contact with us on Twitter, let's say Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we're also on TikTok and our fantastic t mill shop as well. If you want to find any and all the bits and pieces that we have going on throughout the week. But that just brings me to say a big thank you to my co-hosts. Big thank you, Drew. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Thanks, Professor. That's all right. You know, I did very little talking. It's it's mostly you and, and the Janets. Uh, and a big thing, um, you and Janet, yep. Yeah. Uh, and a big thank you to you as well, uh, Aaron. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Very, very welcome indeed. You both seem thoroughly unprepared for that sentence. There. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> the story of this podcast is <laughs> thoroughly underprepared for life, to be honest. Oh dear, yeah. British yeah. school system. <laughs> and a big thank you to you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time here in the Natural History Cupboard. Bye. Did you get that island you were looking for? Yes. What did it cost you? Actually, less than you might think, because I've managed to hoard all my taxes on it. <laughs> <laughs>